Good evening, everyone. Um, well, I'm Matthew. I'll be introducing my father. Um, well, my father, Randolph Barnwell, has been... He was a high school teacher for about 17 years, um, teaching business economics. And from an early age, besides his secular teaching job, he's had a significant grace to teach the Word of God. That is to take things that may seem complex and make them plain, that anyone can understand. And you know, in, in Scripture, there's a pattern for everything. There's a pattern for how we ought to conduct our lives socially, financially, and in tonight's case, relationally. So I encourage you, as we're about to receive the Word tonight, open up your hearts to receive the grace of a teacher. A grace that takes a pattern that's hidden in Scripture and makes it alive, makes it plain, and opens it up to us. Amen. So, let's welcome my daddy. <laughs> Thank you, Randolph. Randolph, like me, has got three sons and a daughter, and they're very close in age as well. Mine are good-looking, uh, and so are his. So, we're very much the same. Thank you, Randolph. Sound check one. Well, greetings in Jesus' name. That last point is highly debatable. Um, thank you, Peter, for the kind invitation to share the word of the Lord with you. Um, and to all those that have gathered um, for this occasion, welcome and thank you for having me to speak to you concerning dating and courtship as it relates to the kingdom of God. I want to contextualize our discussion, and uh, we want to try and keep it as simple and as plain as possible, but to make it as real as possible. But I need to state at the outset that our source of appeal is going to be to the Scriptures. How many people love God's Word? Come on, let me see your hands, yeah? Okay, so we, we want to... Um, appeal to the Bible because the Scriptures are our standard for life. The Bible is our GPS, it's our governor, it sets the path, it sets our behavior, it establishes our mindset such that we are not left to ourselves to decide what to do in any domain of life. And so much of my talk will be scripturally based because I really believe that the Scriptures do cover, in a very, very subtle fashion, this issue of dating and courtship with the view to marriage. And I know that God, God's Word, has wisdom for all aspects of life. In the Bible, you can find guidance for any aspect of life, particularly in this domain of dating and courtship. So once again, thank you so much uh, for having me. As Peter said, I'm the husband of one wife, you are glad to know, and I have four kids by the same woman. All are good looking, by the way. The apple fall nie ver van die worm af nie, yeah. 
Um, so the Lord has enriched my personal life. Much of, of what I will share with you will obviously be from the truth of God's Word, but also I will try to share some of my personal experiences so that you could relate to, to what we will speak about. And so I want to encourage you just to have an open mind, an open heart, because I really believe while in prayerful preparation for tonight, I knew that God was wanting to do something very deep, but something very definitive within the lives of young people. And I have seen within this area of dating, courtship, and relationships, particularly as it relates to young people, I've seen a lot of casualties over the years. I've seen a lot of people make unnecessary mistakes, which could have been avoided, which could have been averted, which could have been prevented had they been armed with specific principles by which if they observed, they could have gone on to live very, very successful lives. And so, once again, I want to encourage you, your, your being here tonight is no coincidence. The Lord has led you here because God wants to have an encounter with you in reference to your choice of a life partner. And this tonight for you could be defining. It could set you off on a path of tremendous blessing in your life in Christ. I'm convinced of that. As I proceed to speak, we will speak as we are led of the Lord by His Spirit. But I want to encourage you to really just sit back, just bump your neighbor and say, just relax. <clears throat> I know it's a very serious meeting, but I want everybody to relax. Just be calm, just be cool, sit there. Yeah, but just have an open heart and just receive what the Lord wants to offload within our lives. Amen? Now, it is my view that dating should prepare one for courtship, which should then prepare you for marriage. Now, when I say dating, I have to be very clear on terms, because that term, date or dating, means different things to different people. Okay? Depending on what culture you're in, a term could mean something vastly different to one person as opposed to, as opposed to another. In some cultures, a date simply means an outing. <laughs> Let's go to the movies. Let's go on a date. Let's go to the theater. Let's go on a date. And it means nothing more than that. It is simply an outing with someone to a specific place to spend some time together. Usually, it's in a bid to get to know the person more. Okay? It is usually in a desire to get to know a person of interest a bit more seriously. And there, there might not even initially be any sense of attraction, any chemistry, any interest in the parties. You just want to hang out. Go on an innocent coffee date, a lunch, a dinner, go to a movie, no physical contact, no chemistry, no sparks are flying anywhere, right? No one's seeing stars. <laughs> it's a pure, innocent friendship date, and that's fine, okay? And yet you go to other cultures, and that same term 
let's go on a date, or we are dating, has attendant with it some kind of formality. And when I say formality, it's formal in the sense that you start to use terms like boyfriend and girlfriend. Hence, we are dating. And in some cultures, the moment you say we are dating, you hint at the fact that there's some form of formality attendant with this outing. And the outing or the going out, um, you heard the term, we are going out, right? Some go right out, <laughs> never to come back again, right? <laughs> They're gone out of God's will. They're gone uh, off the radar, so to speak. A detraction, a detour, off center in terms of what God wanted for their lives. And so these terms we throw around, we're dating, we are going out. We are boyfriend and girlfriend. We're not just friends. There's boyfriend and girlfriend attached to the whole way in which we start to describe our, our relationship. And usually when you use the term like this, you denote some form of attraction to the person. There's some form of, of interest, a level of attraction between the two parties. And usually in some cultures, when you use those terms, you have no intention of marrying the person, yet you date the person without any long-term goal of spending the rest of your life with that person. Now, I want to say that if you're dating in that scenario, that is totally unbiblical. In that case, in some cultures where young people of that nature date, it's very easy to swap dates then and to change who you date because how you date is only based on the level of attraction to the physicality of the person, what you see externally before you. And when that tires you out, you drop the date and you pick up a new date. Right? Because you want to be, or rather you don't want to be outdated. No? You want to be up to date. So you change your dates routinely or predictably. You change your dates because you want to peak your level of interest because you want to satisfy the cravings of your flesh. What's all your interest is? Okay? And if you further apply this to some cultures, particularly in the West, when they use terms like date or we are dating, they literally imply some form of sexual activity. Because if we're not sexually active, we are not dating. Now, in some cultures, if you use the term dating, you imply sexual activity. Now, I need to state this at the outset. That if you are not married, you should not be sexually active. That is the bedrock principle. If you are not married, you should not be sexually active. The Word of God forbids sexual activity before marriage. Why is it gone so quiet in this place? Listen to me very carefully. You need to save yourself a whole lot of trouble. You need to save yourself a whole lot of heartache and pain. What I want to appeal to you is, no matter what your concept of dating is, never allow 
someone else's definition of a thing to define you. Specifically, when you claim to be God's son, with God as your father, the Bible as your GPS or your standard for life, and behavior and practice, you never allow the world to define what is acceptable to you and what is unacceptable. The Bible must be the basis of appeal for us. Now, I want to encourage you, if you look at movies, for example, or television programs, they present a particular uh, uh, culture in reference to dating, courtship, and even marriage. And I want to encourage you, don't take those standards and make them your standards for how you live life. The standard for life for the Son of God is the Word of God, period. If God's Word does not permit it, I will not practice it. If the Word of God encourages it, I'm free and liberated to engage in it. So I want to encourage you to redeem. What we're going to do tonight, we want to redeem dating. We want to redeem the term. We want to buy back the term for kingdom culture. Strictly speaking, the term is unbiblical. Nowhere in the scripture, if you're looking, please stop looking. You will never find the word dating or date in the Bible. The Bible doesn't speak of dating, but the Bible does speak of betrothal. Like Mary was betrothed to Joseph to be married. It does speak of a premarital state that is very serious with marriage in view or with marriage as the end goal. Okay? So I would say most people define courtship in that fashion. So when two people that are very serious, um, mutually attracted one to the other, and see a future with the other for the long term, engage in a relationship called courtship with a view to marriage. When I asked Matthew and Liam, my two boys are present here, when I asked their mother um, for permission to court me, I didn't even use the word date. I remember the first incident. On my asking her, which took a lot of courage, <laughs> given my nature, I saw this red-headed beauty when I was in grade nine. <laughs> I was at a Sunday school teacher's training camp. Thank God I went to that camp. <laughs> I was newly saved. I was saved, gave my heart to the Lord about two or three months. My pastor said I must go to the Sunday school teacher's training camp because he said he saw in me that I'm going to make a very good Sunday school teacher. So as young as I was, I went. And guess what? It was a combination of various churches gathered there. And my present wife came from her church to that same training camp. And she was the only one with red hair. She still has red hair, by the way. All natural. I only go for natural. <laughs> Keep it strictly. You don't know what you're marrying today. Make sure it's real here. <laughs> real eyelashes. <laughs> Make sure there's no moss there. And you're going to fright on your wedding night. <laughs> right? 
So I saw this, and instantly, I'm not prophetic. Well, I am prophetic. Let me speak. I am prophetic. I'm not a prophet. But I knew instinctively that's my wife. Right? I was relatively immature, grade 9. I mean, what more do you expect? Grade 9. But inwardly, I knew something. Wow. That's going to be my wife one day. Right? I did not ask her out until I was in second year university. All that while, I prayed very hard. Right? I said, Lord, keep her for me. Let nobody else take her. I was convinced to a significant degree. What I want to appeal to you, one of the principles I want to insist that you install into your life in contemplating a partner, is this matter is so serious. I think, next to giving your heart to the Lord and making a decision to serve Him wholeheartedly, I think this decision would be, in life for me, the second most important decision anybody can make. So you don't want to make this such an important decision without giving it much thought, much prayer, bringing this matter before the Lord, okay? And so I bathe myself in prayer. I bathe this matter in prayer. Noch al. When I mustered enough courage to go ask her out, which is only in, this, in the middle of my second year at university. After my last matric paper, let me tell you a story. We wrote geography that day. I remember, I'll never forget it. Last paper, matric. I decided after this last paper, I'm walking down to Ogle Road where she lived to ask her out. And I was about to knock on their door. And I got cold feet. And I turned away. And I went back home. Right? We had developed a close friendship in the meantime and through the years. And then I spoke to my youth leader about it. Everyone say counsel. counsel. Let me just say this to you. Even if you are feeling things, submit what you are feeling to godly counsel. It's going to save you a whole lot of trouble. Right? I went to my youth leader, Darby Samuels, and I said to him, this is the case. This is what I'm feeling I think this is the one, and he guided me, he helped me, and uh, he encouraged me. Eventually, I mustered enough courage to go and ask her out. I will never forget, I knocked on their flat door, and she had this red dress on. I can picture her still today. Red dress, red hair. Right? More maroonish. I was so obsessed, I went to buy maroon pants. Still got some photos with, with a white shirt with maroon stripes to match her hair. Don't play. We were... <laughs> right? And so we spoke. So she said, oh, why are you here? So I said, well, I would like to court you with a view to marrying you. Uh, she's obviously, wow. Right? <laughs> She's had many boys make overtures to her to start relationships, but she did not pursue or agree to anyone. Okay? See, you must pray, brethren. <laughs> My prayers were very strong. Okay. And uh, then when I came and I asked her this, she was bowled over by my seriousness, but I said to her, no, 
I don't, want some, I don't want to start something casual. I'm convinced that this is the Lord's will, and I would like to court you, not date you, court you with a view to marrying you later. She said, okay, I'll need some time to think about it and pray. Well, well she took about, I think it was eight months, <laughs> or six months, I think it was, Right? I, I would phone almost every month, have you made your decision, have you, <laughs> etc. Okay, and eventually she did, and she was also very, very serious, because she's a, a person that was given to prayer and fasting. And let me just say this, while the initial attraction for me was physical, and let me just say this, brethren, don't be so spiritual that you feel nothing physically. Don't marry a person because of their spiritual strength. And physically, you have no attraction to them. The opposite is also true, right? The opposite is also true. Don't only marry a person because of your physical attractiveness to them. But in that person, there's nothing attractive about their spirit posture, right? It works both ways. And I found out that, wow, this girl is of the spiritual ilk, the spiritual caliber, there's a quality of spirit and stature within her. Definitely, I want to marry her. Definitely. And I found this out in our friendship and uh, throughout our courtship, it grew. And even today, she is a pillar of strength to me in reference to what God has called me to do in ministry and in my personal destiny in Christ. Let me encourage you. The person you court with a view to marry can either rob you of your destiny in God, or they can be one of the greatest facilitators of that destiny in God. It's either going to re retrogress you so far back, or propel you forward into all that the Lord has got in, in store for you. And so I want to encourage you uh, to give this matter some very, very, very serious attention. Now, you are body, soul, and spirit. Everyone say you are three parts. Come on, tell someone there are three parts to you. And later on, I will speak about, in, in reference to your choice of a life partner, how to manage these three areas within a dating courtship. And well, we can, we're not going to speak about marriage here this evening. There's simply no time for it. Um, I think in redeeming dating, it's fine to date if the date is with a view to getting to know the person a bit more deeper. So you find that there's this initial interest or attraction in the other, but you're not certain. And so I think within the kingdom of God, from our perspective, if we date, we date with this in view. No physical contact. Tell someone, no physical contact. In dating. Some of you might say, what? Let me just say this. I'm redeeming the term dating. Everyone say, we're redeeming dating. No physical contact. You're purely going out on a date. You're going to coffee, you're going to a movie. There's some level of interest, but you are purely want to establish 
a, a healthy context in which you can get to know the person better. Okay? I would also encourage group dating, where you go out in a group or you are chaperoned by somebody. I, I want to chaperone my daughter's first date. She's 12 years old right now. I would like to go out with the boy that is interested in this one that I've t given my whole life to raise. And now you, Brew, coming from nowhere. We don't know where you're coming from. And you think you're going to take my treasure and could potentially spoil her in one night. No, you've got two chances. Right? Snowball's chance in hell. Right? So I would recommend group dating or friendship dating with a group of people. It's a very safe environment. Remember, there's no physical contact. There's no holding hands. Maybe a quick hug. Um, <laughs> there's no kissing of any side hug, as we say. There's no kissing of any kind. It's purely to establish, let's get to know each other a bit more. Never commit until you have known. Never commit until you have known to a sufficient degree. Yes, I know in courtship we will always grow in knowing the person. And even in marriage, we are still knowing and getting to know. But don't know nothing and date nothing that you don't know. At least know the person to a significant degree before you say, yes, we can now take this to the, to the next level. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, my conviction is that once you've dated in that scenario, and if there's any level of attraction between the two parties, and usually the boy will ask the girl out. But you know, in today's culture, we never know. It's like, my protocol is that the male should ask the female. And let me just say this, girls, if he asks you out, um, you must then lead him to get permission from your parents. I might sound old school, but old school saved me. Old school saved me a whole lot of problems. I will never forget the day when Renee said yes to me. It was the, one of the happiest days of my life. I will never forget I was at university. And she had phoned me the night before. She said, come home, I have my answer. So I went to university the next day. I couldn't concentrate. I'm sitting in a macroeconomics lecture. And he's, this guy is drawing heavy graphs. My, my, my lecturer, old man, I remember him so clearly. And I couldn't concentrate. I have one thing on my mind, right? What is my answer? Okay. I found her. I, uh, after the first lecture, I decided I'm bunking the rest of the day. <laughs> this is too much pressure. So I phoned, I said, uh, we was, I was supposed to come home about 3 p.m. that afternoon. She, I knew she was at home. I said, I'm coming home now. I want to know now. And that day was a very bleak day in terms of the climate. It was raining. There was a thunderstorm, dark clouds, lightning. I thought gloom and doom all over the place. And I thought it must be negative because why would she want to see me to tell me and not tell me over the phone? 
I thought she don't want to break my heart over the phone. She'll break my heart nicely. <laughs> you know. And so when I got there, and I said, so what's the answer? And she, with that smile of her, she says, I decided I would like to court you. Wow. Brethren, with a bag of books. I ran, I think it was six kilometers from her house to where I lived. In thunderstorms and over hills and valleys. It's undulating terrain in which we live. And wow, such energy, such vibrancy. I felt I was born again, again. <laughs> and wow. And then she phoned me later that day. She says, nothing is official. Don't tell anybody until you speak to my father. And I knew her father. He was a driving school instructor. And he was well known in our area. I knew he was a very serious man. I thought, Lord Jesus, I have to fast and pray for this one now, <laughs> which I did. Literally, brethren, I, I sat in the car that Saturday night when I went to speak to her dad outside their flat, and I'm praying, Father, help me. <laughs> and uh, so I said to Mr. Israel, their surname was Israel, I said, Mr. Israel, I've spoken to Renee, I have a keen interest in your daughter. I would like to start to court her with a view to marrying her but I've come to ask your permission and to seek your blessing. And he looked at me, very serious. And he said, well, I can see you're a fine young man. I've done my homework. He did his homework already. He somehow got wind of the fact. And he said, no, I'll give you my blessing. Let me just say this. That's a very, very important facet. The blessing of a father is a very critical thing. You obviously gave me a whole lot of regulations and guidelines. For example, when you come and visit my daughter or take her out, you will not woot on the road. You will come in to the house. You will greet everybody and fetch her and take and treat her like a lady. You shall open the door. Okay? And he said, don't be too long on the phone. I remember him saying that. When you phone my house, don't be too long on this phone because we're running a business from here. <laughs> I'm losing clients because of you. <laughs> but I tell you, it was a wonderful, wonderful meeting. Sure, I felt the authorization of heaven that night when I got her father's blessing. And our relationship has been blessed ever since. Our relationship was marked by the blessing of the Lord year by year, right through. Now, I want to encourage you to read a few scriptures. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, in the King James, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Oxen were yoked in that culture, as they would plow the field. And so two oxen would be yoked by a wooden yoke, which was attached to their necks, so that when they plow, they plow in strength, and they plow along a predetermined path set for them by the farmer. To be unequally yoked would be to be yoked with someone that is not going in the same direction as you. Okay? not following the same goals, not following the, 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 the same ethics, the same principles. 
The Bible says in Amos 3.3, Can two walk together unless they agree? And agree there in the Hebrew, yayad, is not simply mental consonance, where you say we're at least on the same page on various things. The word there literally means intimacy and going to the same destination. Arriving at the same place at an appointed time. Right? Everyone say agree. So the Bible says what agreement... Uh, let me read the, 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 the text to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll read from verse 14. I'm going to read from the NASB. Listen carefully. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So yeah, in this text, the Bible speaks about terms like what partnership, what fellowship, what harmony, what agreements can anyone who claims to be a son of God with God as his father have with an unbeliever whose father is Satan? What fellowship? That tells me something very clearly, that a son of God should not even contemplate dating, courtship, particularly marriage, with anyone that also is too not a son of God, right? It is clear. I get this question often. Can I date him from young people? Can I court him? Well, the first question I ask is, is he saved? Does he have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? Does he know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? I want to encourage you, and I speak to your mind tonight. If there's anybody here, and you're contemplating that thought, and you're giving vent to it with the hope of the possibility of going down that route, I declare to you by the Spirit of the Lord, biblically, that is not permissible. Irrespective of the chemistry that you are feeling in the realm of your soul, you might be making an emotionally uh, uh, determined decision. You feel an emotional attachment, a stirring, which you have accommodated prematurely. But if followed through, you're going to make the greatest mistake of your life. Tonight I speak to you by the Spirit of the Lord. God gives you grace tonight to terminate that. It is far too unsafe. You could potentially make shipwreck of your of your life. There's a scripture, I hope I can find it, yes, Exodus 2. Listen to the scripture. Exodus 2, verse 1 to 2, says the following. Exodus chapter 2, from verse 1 and 2. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of the house of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Who's this speaking of? Which child? Who's the child in question? Moses, not so? 
So a man from the house of Levi married a woman from the house of Levi and produced a child from the house of Levi called Moses, whom God would use as a deliverer to lead a whole nation out of Egyptian slavery into the promised land. The word Levi, one of the tribes, Levi means attached. Everyone say attached. Say connected. So someone that's attached or connected to God. That's what the word Levi means. That's why the priesthood was drawn from the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood, were those who claimed to be attached. Say it again, attached. So a man from the house of Levi marries a woman from the house of of Levi. You could say it like this. A man who was attached to God married a woman who was attached to God. Don't marry someone unattached to God. Tell someone they must be attached. And I want to encourage you, don't contemplate the possibility. Let me just say this. Don't fall for the fallacy that you will convert him. Or you will convert her. That's a satanic ploy. I have seen too much hurt. I've seen too much collateral damage done to partners with this view. Oh, we will... I know pastor once said to me, I know what the scriptures say. But I'm feeling things. There's a stirring. There's a rurin. Huh? No, submit your rurin to the power of God. Right? Submit that craving to the will of the Lord. Let me just say this. In life, decisions cannot be regulated from the state of emotions in the fallenness of your soul. Otherwise, you're going to make shipwreck. You have to take, watch, spiritual principles that regulate your spirit man, that direct your soul, so you in your body can obey God. Right? Never allow, and let me just say this, the ruling, the stirring, usually is lust-driven. And people mistake lust for love. And let me just say this, Girls, don't fall for this. If he's putting pressure on you to be more sexually intimate, he's not worth it. Terminate him tonight. Fanant. If he doesn't respect you enough to wait until you are married to be sexually intimate... It does not know biblical requirements for why you are in a relationship in the first place. Okay? It's, it's very, very important. And usually, young people mistake lust for love. Lust is selfish. It is self-centered. Because its only concern is the gratification of my craving, my flesh, without concern for the well-being of the other. So long as I am satisfied, right? It's, that's not true love, okay? That's not true love at all. Now, let me go through some guidelines which I think should govern dating courtship with a view to marriage. Somebody asked me, is there an age that you would recommend where we can start dating? Okay, we want to know that. We want to know that revelation. <laughs> okay. 
there is no revelation. I would suggest, though, I would peg it at 18 to start dating. And how I define dating? To going out with someone with a view to get to know them more before a final decision is made to start to court them with a view to marriage. I think anything less than that, firstly, your developmental stage, for example, from 13 to 18, there's just far too much going on in your life for you to make a sane choice. Usually you are finishing school, you've got studies on your mind, you've got career parts to, to, to embark upon. There's your personal growth in Christ that is a critical thing. You are far too immature to make an informed choice that will receive the blessing of the Lord and cause you to pursue God's will with heightened deficiency in Christ. Far too immature. Now, I told you your body, soul, and spirit. Or more correctly, spirit, soul, and body, right? The most important aspect of us is our, is our spirits, which is that nature or aspect of God given to us that is so like Him, but He's given that domain to us. Uh, it has a mind, a will, and can make decisions as well. Your soul is that aspect that is native to you, because it allows you, while you're in an earth-based context, to make intelligent, rational decisions and choices in life. It's like you're amphibious, like a frog can live on land and, and water. You, in, in the earth, in your body, in your body you've got a soul and spirit. But with your spirit you can make contact with God in the eternal realm, in the realm of the spirit. But with your soul in an earth-based context, you can be a rational, intelligent, cognitive being. Both have a mind, the spirit has a mind, the soul has, has a mind. Both has a will, the spirit has a will, and the soul has a will. Both can make decisions, right? Both have understanding. But in the order of things, I don't have time to go to the, through the theology of this, but listen carefully. It was always God's will that, that man uses his spirit to direct his soul so that in his body he can obey God. Right? The, the, the flow of operations is spirit must make a decision to which the soul must comply so that in your body you can obey God. Even your feelings. That's why David said from a spirit perspective to his soul, Why are you cast down, O oh my? That's the spirit, spirit of a man talking to the soul of a man. Now listen carefully. In reference to relationships... I mean, be honest. What hits you when you see that significant other? What, what, what hits you first? Right? can be different things for different people, depending on how you are wired. Right? A lot of people will see physicality first. Wow, check her out. Isn't he cute? Look at those biceps. Mm. For me, it was the red hair. Wow, check that hair. Huh? Check that beauty. Let's be honest. Most times it's purely initial. It's something I like externally in terms of what I see. Hallelujah. The word Ruth, in the book of Ruth, you know Ruth that married Boaz? What was Boaz before he met Ruth? He was ruthless. 
<laughs> and God had to take the rootlessness out of Boaz. But you know, the word Ruth means this. It has multiple meanings. But Ruth means something worth seeing. Ruth must have been a bomb. I'm telling you, she must have been a beauty to behold. Yeah? Everyone say something worth seeing. Yeah? I think when Boaz saw what Boaz says, wow. It was just what Adam said to Eve with the first time he saw her. He got up from this deep sleep. Wow, man. So your name will be woman. Right? Or maybe, whoa, man. Be careful, man. <laughs> Depending on how you read the text. <laughs> right? But listen carefully. Ruth is something worth seeing. Ruth is something worth beholding. But the etymology, the, in other words, the, the root meaning of Ruth, if you go down to its core, its basis, Ruth means from sight or the capacity to see. She is worth seeing because she can see. She is worth beholding because internally within her, she has the capacity to perceive. I think initially, what impressed Boaz was, wow, Ruth, my Ruth. You know what he did when he saw a gleaning in the field? He asked his laborers, who is this chick? Who is this one here? I haven't seen her before. And they said, oh, she's Ruth the Moabites. She's gleaning after the reapers because she's taking produce for her mother-in-law, Naomi, who she's come all the way backward from Moab after Elimelech, Marlin, and Kilion have died. You know the story? And she's yet to support her father in Christ, who was Naomi. It's more than a mother-in-law. Naomi was a father in Christ. I won't have time to explain. Listen carefully. And when Boaz saw her, you know what Boaz said? Come and sit at my table. <laughs> Eat the produce here. Also, don't go to another man's field to glean, but stay in my field. And do not only reap or glean in the corners of the field, but now go to the center of the field and reap after the reapers. Oh, by the way, he says to her, I've instructed all my men not to touch you. Obviously, he had other ideas in mind. Right? He was looking after his inheritance. <laughs> he says, I've instructed all my men not to, not to touch. In other words, in, the, in this field, which is a field of doctrine, if you understand it, there'll be safety, there'll be immunity, there will be protection, you'll be well catered for, your needs will be met within this domain. Right? And he said, it has been reported to me. In other words, this man did his homework. You wouldn't have said, it has been reported to me, if there was no report. And he said, it has been reported to me, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. And let me just say this, I believe what more impressed Boaz, more than the external beauty of Ruth, they say she was a very beautiful woman, something worth beholding, it was the internal caliber of the woman that finally sealed the deal for Boaz. And what does Boaz mean? Quick. This man was very fast. Only four chapters it took to marry the girl. <laughs> Only four. I mean, the next day he was at the, <laughs> the city gates contending with elders, fighting for his right to legitimately marry this girl. 
And let me just say this to you, young men, young women. What can impress you initially might be external physicality. And let me just be honest, do not be embarrassed by that, because that's a God-given thing. Do not be embarrassed by the fact that you are sexually attracted to another being. Do not discount that. It's not a bad thing. God made you that way. You wouldn't be here today if your mother and father didn't feel something. None of you would be here. Yeah? My third son, Luke, after these two, he's still at home with us. And my wife and I, we still hold hands, we hug, we kiss, we French kiss in front of him at times. We'll hold hands, and he gets all crazy. No, go find a room, he will say. Um, why do we do that? To demonstrate to him that these things are perfectly normal. And it's highly spiritual. It's not a carnal thing. Don't let what the world has taken and misrepresented to the world tarnish what God made holy. Yeah? It must be done decently and in order, obviously. Right? Um, I'm just ragging you, but we do that. And he gets sometimes embarrassed, you know. But let me just say this, don't feel uneasy by the fact that, wow, I, I went to this dating and courtship thing and Pastor Barnwell said that I must, before I'm worth seeing, I must be someone who can see, I must be the Ruth. It's about internal and not external. And now you think, wow, there's he, there's she. I'm feeling, wow, hey, check her out. And you're feeling all of these physical things. I'm saying don't be embarrassed. Usually that's how God works. First the natural, then the spiritual. <laughs> but I'm saying, let the spirit dimension predominate. God uses, God uses the initial physical attraction to establish interest, right? to get your attention. Right? How else would God get my attention except to give, give me a red-headed beauty? All the signs were there. She was the only person with red hair. Right? Or maroon. Oh, I'll never forget that maroon pants. <laughs> so it can start off that way, but the preeminent consideration must be the spiritual state of the person. And let, me, let me just be honest. Spirit first, soul second, body third. But body is usually the first thing we see. But listen carefully, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.16, from now on we know no man after the, the flesh. So I want to encourage you, even to young people, listen carefully. While you will feel a physical attraction to the person, right now start to condition your mind that you're going to see beyond what you see physically. You're going to see internally into the spirit content of their spirit. Let me talk to spirit for a brief moment. In considering the spirit position of the potential mate, the potential partner, ask yourself things like, is their salvation experience legitimate? Or are they a fake? Are they just parading here with all of us in church, playing the parts? Because there are many like that. Many charlatans 
will position themselves externally in rightness spiritually before you. You think this is the holiest man on earth sent by God for you? And he could be playing a part. He could be just a hypocrite playing a, a part. If that is the case, you could be making the biggest mistake of your life. Establish the authenticity of the person's salvation experience. Okay? Establish it clinically. I had to speak to my Renee's leadership at her church after our relationship was established by her father giving me permission. I then went to her pastor in her church to make my intentions clear. So when he sees me come, he knows what I'm there for or why I'm there. But it's done in honor. It's done in honesty. Amen? And um, these things are very, very important. Ask yourself things like, does he love God? Let me just say this clearly. Girls, if he does not love God completely, he will never love you adequately. Vice versa. Boys, if she is not totally sold out, to God and completely in love with Him. Neither will she have the capacity to love you completely. One of the questions I'm going to ask Ray, Ray's my 12-year-old daughter, one of the questions I'm going to ask her boy when she brings him home, that's after he's gone through my sons. If he's passed that test and he's made it this far, I say, come, bro. <laughs> yeah. One of the questions I will ask him is, well, firstly, I want to see, I'll ask him for his bank balance. I say, can you give me at least six months bank balance statements, please? I want to see, right? Right? <laughs> I often say this. I'm not, I, I don't want to see how much you earn. I want to see, do you honor God financially? Because if you don't honor God financially, how on earth are you going to take care of my daughter in marriage? If you don't have the blessing of God upon your financial world, in terms of how you honor God financially with your first fruits, your tithes, and your offerings, how then can you expect to be the head of my daughter in marriage and adequately take care of her needs? Don't even contemplate dating a non-tither. I don't know if you thought about tithing as a requirement, as a tick box you must tick. Don't, I mean, if he's stingy, and you will notice this on your dates, if he's the stingy type, the withholding type, the hoarding type, if he's a miser, if he's not a giver, don't marry a non-giver. Don't date a non-giver. You, you, you might think, wow, what a stupid requirement, Randolph. Why all this talk? Listen carefully. Your financial future is going to be in the life of someone that does not know how to honor God with his finances. Right? And you're courting peril. You are dating peril. Okay? The second question I will ask him is, young man, do you know how Christ loves the church? Because in marriage, it says, a husband must love his wife how? As Christ loves the, loves the church. So ought a man to love his own wife, the text says, Right? So, anybody that has no revelation of how Christ loves the church sacrificially will never be able to love his wife adequately. A revelation of how Christ loves the church conditions 
in marriage how a husband should love his wife. And let me just say this, if marriage is the end to which this dating courtship is progressing, the principles governing marriage should filter down, the bedrock principles I'm talking about, should filter down to how we conduct our courtship. If there's no revelation of the love of Christ, He will never love you adequately. And if the young man says to me, no, I don't. I'll say, no problem. This relationship will be put on hold. Press the pause button. Not the fast forward. Press pause. And I will educate you for the next year. <laughs> and give you a revelation of the nature of Christ's love for His church. He must love God's Word. If God's Word is not central to Him... He has no basis upon which he will lead you spiritually. If he has got no time to read his Bible, if he's got no time for loving God by loving his word, I wouldn't even consider. If in your courtship and in your dating, you can, let's say courtship, you cannot study the word together, if you're not going to do it in your courtship, you will neither do it in your marriage. Whatever you establish in your courtship will only grow in marriage. I would advise all courting couples, study the Bible regularly together. Let it be a fixture in your courtship. Pray together often in your, in your courtship. Uh, in my courtship, we did this often. And I, I, I was glad when Matthew and Lauren, Matthew and Lauren, my eldest, got married in December last year. Yeah, in Cape Town. Okay, Now this other chap is also living in Cape Town, Liam. He's unattached. If anybody's interested, please come see me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the third boy, I said, I'm not sending you to Cape Town too. He wants to go to Los Angeles. We see more serious trouble there. Okay. But let's, let's, let's listen carefully. I want to encourage you. Even in Matthew and Lauren's courtship, they studied the Bible regularly together. What are they doing? Establishing solid foundations for how we will conduct a solid marriage later on. Okay? How we will conduct a solid marriage later on. Do they love God? Do they love His Word? Do they honor God financially? Do they love the church? Ask yourself this question. Do they love the body of Christ? Okay? If he doesn't love the body of Christ, if he doesn't love church, now he will never love them, love the church later. In terms of the soul, there's much else I can say about spirit, but let's go to the soul. The soul is that emotional part of our beings where a lot of fracture, hurt, can be inflicted through life's circumstances. Now, listen carefully. You never ever caught a person and or even marry a person one day with the idea that that person is going to fill a deficiency within you. Right? The best you can offer your potential mate is wholeness. Wholeness for you can only be found in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. No other person can make you whole or complete as a person. Only Christ can make you whole. And the best you can offer the other is wholeness. 
Not brokenness, not fracturedness, hoping that the other will fill your gaps. You're going to place unnecessary stress on the relationship. Completeness, the Bible says, we are completing in Him. Okay? So I would advise, if the potential mate is manifesting serious deficiencies in the area of their soul, put the relationship on hold for a while and allow for a measure of healing to come in that domain. For example, let's say you want to court this boy, asked you out, but you can see in him he is extremely bitter and he's holding hurt and maybe an intense grudge from past, some past experience. You, you're not just courting the person, you're courting all of that. Right? And you don't want to date a project and take on an assignment in the relationship and you think, God is with me, I can fix him up. Right? I would suggest you would rather, before you get serious, put it on hold and allow for a time of, of, of healing where the person can seek healing in that phase or department of their lives. I've seen too many marriages where this hasn't been the case, and it's brought untold misery to the persons in their marriage state because the person had refused to cooperate with the dealings of God to come to a place of wholeness in that area. The best gift you can give to your potential mate is a soul that is healed, is a soul that is whole, is a soul that has been renewed by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Then the two become one, one flesh. Now, also in reference to the soul, please watch for something that I, I read up on in this week is manipulation, control, and domination. If he or she, because this works both ways, I've seen relationships where the woman is in control, or bossy, or manipulative. And, you know, it can be very subtle. They know how to pull the strings to get you to behave in a certain fashion. Any form of control is unbiblical. It's demonic. It's not the spirit of the Lord. If either partner is manifesting serious expressions of control, domination, and manipulation, that is something you must run away from very fast. Again, it's Jezebelian. It's a spirit of Jezebel. And Jezebel is not female. Jezebel is genderless. Jezebel can be male or female. It's a spirit that knows no gender. Okay? So never ever find yourself, listen carefully, if your will, if your will is pulverized to the place where you cannot express a desire or an intention or make a decision for yourself, particularly in a courtship relationship, and the other overrides it with subtleties of control, domination, or they become forceful, that is something you must seriously be aware of. Okay? I, I wrote recently on Facebook that the seed of manipulation, abuse, and control you must run away from it or walk away from it so that you don't experience the harvest of abuse. If you recognize a seed of abuse in a relationship, quietly walk away from it. 
and don't accommodate the seed in its infant form because that thing is going to grow and mature and become a major stronghold in your marriage. Okay? Pastor Tamo said, if, if that is hell in your courtship, it will be a fiery furnace in your marriage. Right? Okay? There are certain red flags. Everyone say red flags. Red flags. I'm, oh, I must be careful here. I must watch for this. And maybe that is for someone here. I don't think the Lord would have laid it upon my heart in the week. I needed to mention that tonight. If there is control, if your will has been pulverized, if He decides what you do, what you decide, where you go, who you're hanging out with, etc., that is all Jezebelian. It's not the Spirit of the Lord. Learn the art of saying bye-bye. Hmm? <laughs> Hallelujah. Then in physical areas, listen carefully, let me just quickly talk about this. In physical, in physical areas... Obviously, there's a physical attraction to the person. And, and don't be ashamed of the chemistry, as I've said, because it's a God-given thing. That's how God wired us. Basic things like cleanliness. Obviously, the guy must be clean, right? But the girl must be clean. <laughs> you might laugh, brethren. But I have seen some instances where basic hygiene, basic things like cleanliness, decorum, how you carry yourself in a physical manner is very, very, very important. There is a thing called deodorant. There's something called antiperspirant. Right? Cologne, for those of you that don't know. I will never forget jumping into a car where the person was courting another and there were some flavors aromas, and I'm thinking, and you're going to hold your girl with that? No, brethren. I hope it's not here in Cape Town. Maybe for you, yeah, it's so cold, you smell nothing in winter. <laughs> I want to encourage you, basic cleanliness. They say cleanliness is next to godliness. The guy mustn't, or the girl mustn't be shabby. There's a certain etiquette and decorum by which sons of God should manage their, their lives. How about eating habits? Don't marry a glutton. Right? You will have to feed him. <laughs> also, be careful about, I mean, these are just simple things to note. Watch the person. Listen carefully. This is in your best interest. You're going to be living with this for the rest of your life. So at least take cognizance of some things. Right? Even if ask or consider, do they eat healthily? Right? Because if you don't eat healthily now, later on in your aged life, you're going to be presenting medical problems to your spouse. How about physical fitness? Are they lazy, couch-type potatoes that engage in no physical activity at all? Again, let me just say this. One of the best offerings you can give to your, your spouse in their old age is a healthy body. And not give them medical problems in your old age because of the way you managed your diet and did not look after yourself physically. 
Let me just say this. I'm speaking to spirit. I'm speaking to soul and to body. You've got to consider, don't just be impressed by one domain and say, wow, see how spiritual the man is. Wow, he hears from God. Oh, see the anointing. Oh, his revelation in the Word. This is the man. But he doesn't know what the audience is. Huh? He might be controlling. His eating habits, his eating pork steaks every night, donuts, cholesterol, high blood pressure, sugar diabetes, all of that you're going to marry. Huh? <laughs> they say love is blind. Brethren, love is blind. <laughs> oh, yes. You, Peter's reminding me, if you become diabetic, you will be blind. <laughs> diabetes is a very powerful cause of, of, of blindness. Okay? Then, maybe as a last factor, get to know the person's family. When you are considering a partner, and you start dating to get to know them better, maybe then your, your interest is piqued, you're ticking a few boxes, and you start courting, Remember, when you marry a person, you are embracing a whole tribe. You're embracing everything that comes with that person. There's a whole lot of people behind them <laughs> that you must embrace and love. Amen? I love my mother-in-law. In fact, I don't, she's my favorite mother-in-law, I tease her. <laughs> I don't call her my mother-in-law. I call her my mother-in-grace. Because we're not into law, we're into grace, right? So I refer to her. I, I don't even like the term in-law. I don't regard Matthew's wife, Lauren, as my daughter-in-law. When I see her, that's my daughter. When she married this boy, she embraced a whole family. So please, yes, I'm saying don't let the family put you off. <laughs> but just know... That when you say yes to this, 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 this boy or this girl, that if the family got some serious issues, may the Lord give you the grace to deal with them. <laughs> just no, I'm just saying, don't be shocked. <gasps> I didn't know I signed up for this. What have I got myself into? I'm saying the grace of God will really be your portion and God's grace will help you. Now I want to close or start to close. It's nine o'clock. Can we go till about 20 past or so? Time goes faster in Cape Town than in Durban. It really does. Okay. I want to close with one of my favorite case studies. And it's Genesis chapter 27. In Genesis 27, verse 46. Before we go there, do you remember how Isaac got Rebekah to be his wife? Abraham, well, Isaac didn't have a choice really. Abraham decided... Abraham took his head servant and said, you go spy the land, go to the land of my forefathers, and choose for my son a wife for him. And so the servant really prayed, you must read it, he prayed to the Lord, God prosper me on this journey as I search for a bride, right? Maybe we should get back to biblical days <laughs> and send people to spy the land for you, <laughs> right? And so this is what he did. He set it up. He took 10 camels with him. And he went to the place where they draw water. And he went at the time of day when women normally come with their jars to draw water. And he said, 
he put a fleece before the Lord. He said, the woman that is coming must have a jar. And when I ask her for water, she must give me the water and also offer water to all of my camels. Then I know this is the one. (laughs) Rebecca happened to be coming. And the Bible says she was the most beautiful of women. Don't play with our matriarchs, right? You know Abraham's wife, Sarah, was so beautiful. At 99 years old, a king wanted her. I was willing to kill Abraham in the process, right? So we come from good stock, brethren. (laughs) Don't play with our matriarchs. Our patriarchs had good, good, good choice, right? Good taste. They could see and they chose wisely. So Abraham marries Sarah, Isaac marries Rebekah. The Bible says when Rebekah came, the Bible says she came with jars on her shoulders. The most beautiful of women. She drew water, he asked her for a drink, and she gave him. And she said to him, shall I also give it to all your camels? The Bible says she drew water and she gave it to all the camels. He lifts up his hand to the Lord and says, wow, thank you. And you know the story? He asked her, where do you live? They go to the home, speak to the father, speak to the brother. And she comes home with him to Abraham. And Isaac saw them coming from a distance, the Bible says. He was sitting in the evening, meditating in the field. And the Bible says, and behold, he lifted up his eyes and he saw camels coming with someone. <laughs> Rebecca. You know what Rebecca's name means? A noose, you know, like a rope, a cowboy's? tie a noose to catch something. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Same word, luyong in the Greek, is exactly what Rebecca's name means. You see, God needed someone, listen carefully, that knows how to draw water to marry Isaac. Water is an image of the word of the word of God. Someone who prioritized the word of the Lord had to be a bright fit for Isaac. And she marries Isaac. She has two boys, Esau and Jacob. Remember? Twins in a womb. And she gives birth to them. The boys are grown up now. And so she is now worried about how will my sons choose their partners in life? And she says this in Genesis 26 and verse, Genesis 27, verse 46. She calls her husband Isaac, and Rebekah said to Isaac, let's read it here. Everyone say, I'm weary. She says, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, What good is my life unto me? The word weary there. She said, I am weary. The Hebrew word is kus. Q-U-S. Kus. It literally means this. I will be sick and disgusted to the point of vomiting. When she said, I'm weary, this girl is saying, she knows how her marriage was established. Now she looks to a boy. She says, The thought of Jacob choosing the wrong bride makes me so, nauseates me to the point where I become so disgusted internally to the point of vomiting. 
She says, I'm weary for my life. I'd rather die if that boy makes the wrong choice. You see, listen carefully. She was concerned for the purposes of God. In Scripture, you read of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob. And with that arrangement was attendant the, 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 the responsibility of managing and stewarding the purposes of the Lord. And Rebekah realized the daughters of Heth, if he chooses one of them as his bride, God's purposes is at stake, and i rather die if that happens. Let me just say this to you. How you choose can either facilitate the purposes of the Lord, or they can kill the purposes of the Lord in your life. Ruth married Boaz. They had a son called Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. Jesse became the father of King David. From David's line, Jesus the Messiah would come. So Jesus the Messiah's purpose, back it up. Yes, chemistry going on in a field. Boaz and Ruth. But God had in mind with that arrangement, the Christ coming forth. So what happens in a local domestic setting can have eternal and far-reaching ramifications. Your courtship, your dating, your marriage could be used to produce something so profound in the earth relative to the purposes of the Lord. Now I appeal to you as sons of God. I appeal to you tonight by the Spirit of the Lord. May that be preeminently on your mind. When you ultimately make the decision and say yes to that other. May, may there be no doubt in your mind, this is not going to impede God's purposes with our life, but this is going to actually facilitate and push the purposes of the Lord. You know what the Bible says? I don't, know, I don't have it in my notes here. But the Bible says when Esau, the other brother, the twin, the one who hated his birthright, the one who was fleshly driven, lustful, the Bible calls him a fornicator, purely physical, a man of the earth, the red man, right? Esau. The Bible says when Esau saw that the daughters of Heth displeased his father, he went into them to marry them. And he goes off the radar of divine purpose. A decision to marry the wrong person completely dislodged him misaligned him. He went off center stage. You never ever read in, in the scriptures the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You only read the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Look at Genesis 28 verse 1. In the next chapter, Isaac called Jacob and he blessed him. And the Bible says, and he charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Right? Now, can we read this in chorus? Let's read this in company. One, two, three. Come on. And charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now, the word charged here is interesting. In the Hebrew, it's sawah. Everyone say sawah. This is not like saying, my boy, take my advice. Don't marry one of those girls. Please don't. Because purpose is going to be aborted. 
That's not what he's saying. The word sawa literally means this, to order or to direct or to command or to set forth within someone a principle for practice. Listen, everyone say set forth. Set forth within someone a principle for, for practice. A principle for practice. What Jacob was, what Isaac was saying to, to Jacob is, I charge you. Literally, this would play out like this. He was saying, by me saying this to you, I charge you, don't marry one of those daughters. By my utterance, I install a principle in you. Which, when you are ready to make the choice, this principle will guide you in how you choose. I will not choose for you, but within you, I install the principle that will make you choose accurately. So it's like a kind of an alarm system when you study this in the Hebrew, right? It's a kind of an alarm system where if you ever think, my son, of making the wrong choice, May the alarm bells go off in your head. May you feel so uncomfortable, you will know that this is the conviction of the Lord. I charge you, I set forth a principle in your life such that you will not come to make the wrong decision in the choice of a life partner. Who loves God? Anybody? Can we see your hands? Who loves God? Amen? Who loves... Who is... Bent on fulfilling God's purpose. Anybody? You want to fulfill your purpose in life. I'm suggesting to you tonight that the choice of a life partner will either help you in that process or prevent you in that process. It's either going to put you forward or set you back forever. It's a very, very serious, very, very, very serious decision. And I want to encourage you to submit this matter to serious contemplation before the Lord. I want to pray for you. Because you are here tonight and you've t taken the time to come to tonight's session. Thus says the Lord to you. God honors you for being here. I need to say this to you publicly. I hear the Lord saying He honors you for, for being here tonight. Because your being here tells me of this, how serious you are that you get this domain right. I want to get this thing right, God. Right? I want to get this segment of my life right. I do not want to make a mistake here so that I can establish a profound foundation later on for marriage. But preeminently what I want is that this relationship fosters and pushes your purpose. Who knows what God has in store years from now? Who knows... Did Ruth and Boaz know that they're going to give birth to Israel's greatest king? One day down the line, David, from whom the Messiah's line would issue forth. Did they know these things? Please don't marry a fool. Abigail in Scripture married Nabal. Nabal means fool. Don't marry a fool. Don't marry someone. And the Bible says Nabal had no spiritual perception, could not see what David represented. Right? Thank God for Zipporah. Who remembers Zipporah? Who was Zipporah? Moses' wife. Zipporah saved the man. Yeah. 
after God commissioned Moses, the Bible says, as Moses was going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, that God met Moses to kill him. It's in your Bibles. After preparing Moses for 80 years, 40 years in Pharaoh's courts, 40 years in the wilderness under Jethro, he's now ready to go and deliver. The Bible says, and God met Moses to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife stepped in, and she circumcised their two sons quickly. God was going to kill Moses because he failed to circumcise his own household. Thank God for a spiritual wife. If we did not have a Zipporah, you won't have a book of Exodus today. (laughs) Yeah, There's no deliverance. I thank God for my Zipporah. She saved me on many, many occasions. Hallelujah. And all the Zipporahs in the house said, Amen. You know what Zipporah means? To chirp. Chirp, 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 like a bird. Chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> you know wives can chirp, but they must chirp right. They, you know, I've discovered in my own experience, my wife has an intelligence in the spirit that sometimes I don't. She can see things a mile away. She can assess the personality or the character of a person almost instantly that would take me a few months to come to terms with. And on many occasions, there's an intuition built. Now let me tell you, men, you want to marry a Zipporah. <laughs> Don't marry Sapphira. Why, why, Ananias, did you marry Sophia? A girl that got you killed in how you administrated a financial offering to the Lord. Your wife will either save you, your husband will either save you, or the choice of the wrong partner can ultimately lead to your spiritual death. Our thing is, may God's purposes be done in our lives. May nothing prevent the purposes of the Lord being done. Let me encourage you as we close, all of you, listen carefully. If your priority, I say this to you by the Spirit of the Lord tonight, if your priority before God is, God, I want your will for my life. I want to be an instrument in your purpose. Use me as an instrument in the world. Use me for your will. Use me for your purpose. Your purpose is my priority. Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. I want to play center stage in your purpose, in the unique assignment that you have for my life. If that is at the forefront of your mind, I say this to you tonight, God will guide you in leading you to a person that will facilitate that and not impede that. One that will aid you. Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament. Powerful couple that helped Apollos migrate to a a greater place of accuracy. Acts 18. I want to encourage you, these things are possible in Christ. Amen.